Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. You know, I did a minor, uh, well, I hate to say a mistake. Would I ever actually do an outright mistake? Well, maybe. But uh, uh, let's just say I had some trouble preparing the material for February this year. You know what I, of course, love to do is find a book that is both, um, what I say, very practical and very spiritual at the same time. And I wanted to do that around love. And I ran across a problem. The book that I really loved for its practicality It would be a strain to say it was a spiritual book. And the book that I really love for its uh, true idea of of heavenly love, of of love of God, had no practical information really at all. So what was I to do? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, sorry about that. (laughs) And then, of course, we lost a week, so we're covering two books in like three days. Oh, well, we'll have fun with it nonetheless. So the practical book is called Attached, and it really is very practical. It talks about adult attachment. And for for those of you who have no idea what that means, it's totally fine, because what it's really attempting to do is to explain the style of how we make friends of how we approach people in our loving. So it applies to couples, to friendships. It really, if you will, represents the, the how and the why of us being attracted to people, whether it's for a friend, whether it's for a lover, whether it's for family members. And so um, it also is kind of fun in that uh, cosmopolitan magazine style, you'll notice in your program, there's even a little questionnaire in there. So, so with the same, were you ever like 10 years old and you stole your mom's Cosmopolitan magazine and, and, and did that, you know, how to love properly survey kind of thing? So, so I would say with the same sense of, of fun, but honesty, uh, over this week, if you have time to fill out this little questionnaire, don't need to do it today, that's fine. But we will be talking about the specific types of attachment uh, next week. And so it might be kind of fun if you knew what style you were. So, uh, so take that home with you and, and have a look at it. But what this is, the, the thesis, if you will, of the book is that at a probably very early age, we got clues as to what relationships were like. And the idea is probably the very first people that exhibited love to us, it represented, if you will, a little bit of a template on how we might love others. And so it's not surprising then that later in life we reenact some of these early pictures of what love was like. And so we might have learned what love was like from our mother or our father or a grandparent or even some of our siblings. And those early ideas of how to be with someone else tend to stick with us. Now, a couple of caveats of this whole theory of attachment. One is the idea isn't to put people in boxes. Do you know why we don't put people in boxes? They don't fit. Yeah, exactly. They absolutely do not fit. And so when you take the little questionnaire, I would be really surprised if you came out completely one style of attachment. Almost all of us are going to have maybe a preponderance of questions that will come out in, in one of the styles, but, but a variety of answers in other ones. And that's because we don't fit into boxes. This is just a, a rough idea of how we approach this idea of friendships 
peace and love. The other thing that I would like to point out is that our styles actually change over time. And so we may have started out loving people in a certain way and through the process of getting more information and being in a, maybe being in a marriage or having a best friend, we learn more about ourselves, we learn more about other people, and so our styles change. And in fact, it's not uncommon, the, the studies show, that over the course of our life, we may have two or three different styles as we approach life differently and find ourselves in different kinds of relationships. So just a couple caveats. The idea here isn't to say, oh, she's a whatever, so she's like that. Do you know what I mean? Because that's putting people in boxes, and frankly, we don't fit that well. But the idea more is, oh, that's interesting. That might explain a little bit about why I approach people the way I approach them. So it's really, the idea is it's kind of an inner diagnostic tool. And let me read you quickly the promise of this book, because I think it's a good one. Here's what the author says. This book is the product of attachment research, and we hope that you, like our many friends and colleagues and patients, will use it to make better decisions in your personal life. In the following chapters, you'll learn more about each of three adult attachment styles. You'll learn your motives as well as the motives of others for being in relationships. And we plan that in order to be happy in a, excuse me, and if you're already in a relationship, you'll gain insight into why you both think and act as you do, as well as strategies to improve your satisfaction level. In any case, you'll start to experience change and change for the better, change for love. So that's our idea, and that's why we're heading into this, uh, uh, this plan. So let me briefly go over what the three styles are so that you'll have a, a, an upfront idea even as you're taking the test later in the week. First of all, the first one's called the anxious style of attachment. And let me read to you what it says about that. It says you love to be close to your friends and partners and you have the capacity for great intimacy. You often fear, however, that your partner does not wish to be as close as you would like him or her to be. Relationships and friendships tend to consume a large part of your emotional energy. You tend to be somewhat sensitive to even small fluctuations in your partner's and friend's moods and actions. These perceptions are often quite accurate, but you take your be partner's behaviors somewhat personally. You experience a lot of negative emotions within a relationship. You're easily upset, and as a result, you may act out and say things in relationship that you later regret. However, if your, uh, if your friend or partner provides a lot of security and reassurance, you're absolutely able to shed much of your preoccupation and simply feel contented. The second style is called secure. Being warm and loving in a relationship comes naturally to the secure style of attachment. You enjoy being intimate without becoming overly worried about your relationship or your friends. You take things in stride when it comes to romance. You don't easily get upset over relationship matters. You communicate your needs and feelings to your partner, and you read your partner's emotional needs and respond to them. You share your successes and problems with your mate and your friends, and you're able to be there for him or her as needed. And then the last one, I think it's kind of mislabeled, because uh, I think the term avoidant makes it sound like these people don't want to be in a relationship or have friends. And I don't think that's the case 
whatsoever. But in the book, it calls it avoidant. I think of it more as reticent. So that's just my take on it. But the avoidance style means it's important for you to maintain your independence and your self-sufficiency. So you often prefer autonomy to overly intimate relationships. So even though you do want to be close to others, you feel uncomfortable with too much closeness. And so you tend to keep your partners and your friends a bit at arm's length. You don't spend much time worrying about your romantic relationships or about being rejected, but you also tend not to open up to your partners. Occasionally they may complain that you are emotionally distant. And in a relationship, you are often on alert for signs of control or impingement on your own territory. All right. So how do these sound? First of all, I think what's interesting is, although the book sets it up as though there are three categories, what I know about the science of mind is that opposites don't actually exist. And so if some of these sound like opposites, I want you to kind of put that out of your head because really life is about a continuum, isn't it? And so I rather think of this not as categories where we fit in a box, but rather as a continuum that over time we can slide along. And so if you will, these attachment styles I think are describing two ends of a spectrum as well as a firm middle in it. And so that's one of the other reasons for the, the, the kind of no box rules to use the little cosmos style quiz more as just an indication of things that may be going on in your life and not, not saying this is what you have to think or this is what you believe. So the two ends represent, if you will, the, the very anxious and the very avoidant. And I want to share some uh, maybe scary information for you about these. They're bizarrely attracted to each other. <laughs> Both as friends and as potential partners. You know that old thing of opposites attract? Well, if it's simply physical characteristics, I would say, you know, whatever. <laughs> But when these particular attachment styles attract to themselves, the very anxious and the very aloof, you have one of those kind of relationships that can be kind of tough. You have that feeling of, uh, I want to be close, I want to be close, and the other person is having the feeling, I want a little space, I want a little space. <laughs> and the trouble is, it actually fits in almost to the weaknesses of the people in these relationships. So the, the more the person who wants and needs the closeness expresses themselves, the more likely uh, the avoidant person is to sense that it's somehow impinging upon their own sense of freedom and their own sense of self-worth. And so kind of the more the one person tries, the more the other person is apt to withdraw a little bit here. So next week, after we've learned what our styles are, we're going to talk about some real how-to things that we can do to make our relationships more powerful. Because I do believe all three of these types have their evidence in all of us. It's simply a matter of where we are on that spectrum. So none of us are good, none of us are bad, none of us, none of us are perfect in our relationship building, in our friendships, in our marriages. All of us have some learning, I think, from this system 
wisdom. And next week, we're going to learn some very proactive things we can do that will help you, in particular, if you've identified what style you're in. So, so I would like you to, to do that as part of your homework for next week. I will, though, uh, just end this part of the talk with giving you some numbers, because you might wonder, well, how prevalent are these, you know, of the, the hundreds of thousands of people that have taken these tests across the U.S., how did they come out? Believe it or not, 25% of the population have anxious styles of connection. And a fully 25% are on that other end of things and are the more, uh, shall we say, avoidant or, or, or the more, you know, wanting the looser relationship. And, and the numbers are pretty strong in that way, too. It's a good, it, I think it's a good measurement. So about 50% of the population are somewhere in the middle. Now, for those of you who are, are dating or acquiring new friends, which I hope we're all acquiring new friends, what's interesting is, guess who's the most available? Statistically, the most people out there wanting to make friends and available for dating are the avoidant people. Because they've kind of kept people a little bit, they want to be close, but they've kept them a little bit distant. So if you and your just good-natured wonderfulness are trying to make friends and, and why does he seem to resist me a little bit? <laughs> and I'm kidding, I don't see you that way at all, believe me. Uh, it could simply be, not that there's anything wrong here and not that this person wouldn't want to have a new best friend or, 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 or date or something like that. It's simply their style, if you will, to be a little bit more aloof to be a little bit more uh, put on the brakes kind of thing. And when we have that kind of information about ourselves and others, we're going to make some amazing better decisions. So that's for next week. We're going to change gear though here because I want to talk about love from a completely different aspect. I want to get in to the love that comes from God. And I think the best way to do this is a little bit of interactivity. So if you were to describe God's love... That infinite, all-encompassing... Well, here, I'm already describing it, and I'd like you to. When I say God's love, what do you think of? Complete, all. Complete, all. Gentleness, infinite. Unlimited. Unconditional. A couple unconditionals. Anything else we've missed? Boundless, that's lovely. All inclusive. So let's, let's stay with these for now. There are probably other words we could describe, but I want to focus in on a few of these that I think are pretty fundamental. What I think was interesting too is it didn't take very many voices, I think, to cover God's love really well. The first one that I heard was the idea of available everywhere, right? Two or three people said constant and available. And I think this is true. God's love isn't intermittent. It doesn't wait for a sunny day. It doesn't wait for the circumstances or the celestial mechanism, you know, right? It doesn't matter whether it's raining. It doesn't matter whether we've had a good day or a bad day. God's love is available. Now, there may be times when it doesn't feel so available. There may be times in our humanness when we're in pain or suffering. But I would suggest 
to you, God's love is still there. Even as the sun is behind the clouds, even as the, the sun is there when it's behind the earth, if you will, God's love is present. The other thing that you talked about is the unconditional nature of God. And I want to talk about this maybe in a little bit more detail. What do you think that means? You know, there was a time in the history of the planet when even the Christian God, if you look in the Old Testament and even read about the, the idea of Jehovah or Yahweh, you'll discover that you had to follow some rules. There were commandments, there were ways of living in the Jewish tradition, there are dietary laws and all kinds of things. Our idea of God, I think, has significantly changed in the last few thousand years. When we talk, or, or as Tara did in her song about the one, we really have changed both the picture of God and God's ability to love. God loves us whether we have behaved well or not. God loves us whether we go to church on Sunday or not. God loves us through thick and through thin, through our good behaviors and our bad behaviors. God isn't some guy, you know, with the, what is that? There's like, like an idea of a book that God's keeping track of with you. I, I get it confused with Santa Claus sometimes. But, <laughs> but, you know, that idea of God is out. The idea of God that it is in truly is unconditional. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, God welcomes you. And then the third idea of love that we talked about, of God's love, I think has to do with who it's for. We talked about it being available to everybody and not, not from the idea of, uh, of whether it's uh, sunny or not, whether God's feeling like in a loving mood, but rather that God is available to every person. Uh, back in the ancient times, the only level of God's love you could have was making sure you were praying to the right God. Right? Each group of people had its own tribe, and each tribe had its own God. And if you got a little bit mixed up, you couldn't count on the love of one tribe's God to yours, right? It was like there were the favored people. The trouble was, of course, there were a few different thousand sets of favored people. <laughs> well, again, you know, we've come to that idea of oneness. We have come to that idea of God's love available truly for all. Doesn't matter what your upbringing was. It doesn't matter, uh, you know, what your religion of origin was. Truly here, we believe God's love is for all. It's consistent and there are no strings attached. So to combine the two halves of my Sunday talk today, I would like to suggest that they're both dealing with the same information. I would like to suggest that as we learn to love as God loves, it knocks off those extremes of that continuum. We're no longer anxious if we truly love and allow ourselves to be loved without judgment or without worries. And likewise, when we know that God and God's love is available to us all through people without any worries, then our ability to commit is more solid. We recognize that there is no reason not to have a greater intimacy 
that truly God's love exists for all, undiminished and only for good. So I have a bit of homework for you this week, and you thought you were just going to do that little quiz. I know. I'm going to stack it up. There you have it. I'll, I'll own up to it. I would like you to take a look at your friendships and your other close relationships. So it could be with a partner or a spouse. It could be like with a best friend or family members. I would like you to look at some of your top most important relationships and evaluate them as though you were God doing a little bit of a self-examination. And so say to yourself, in this relationship, is my love unconditional? Am I really freely giving this love away without any expectations as to behaviors or, or ways of being? Truly, am I just giving my heart to this person in my friendship, in you know whatever the situation is, or do I have, uh, do I have little gotchas in there? I will love you if you behave a certain way. And then I would also like you to look and just to see if your heart is open. Is your love available for anyone? Is it just focused in focused in on one or two people, or are you ready to pick up a new friend? Is your heart open enough and available enough, just as God's is that? You can invite more people into that joy. And then finally, the third aspect of it is with your your friendships and, and your loving relationships, do you have it turned on all the time? Can you recognize in yourself that ability that is God's ability and therefore ours to just have our hearts open when we're having a good day, when we're having a bad day, when the sun is shining, when it's raining outside? Is our love still undiminished? Can we still give it away freely? Can we still accept it freely? I know that's a, a big stack of homework for you this week. But we're going to make some huge progress, I think, next week. We're going to take a look specifically at where we are on that continuum of love. And no matter where we are, there's room for gracious and loving improvements. <laughs> We're going to become one of those home improvement projects that is going to have such wonderful payback in terms of friendships, in terms of love, in terms of uh, uh, the ability to have more harmony with our families. We're going to make a difference here. And I know we're going to also enjoy ourselves along the way. I'm going to close with a, a quote from the Ernest Holmes book that I selected from this month. This is the part of the love section of Love and Law. Here's what he says. We must take our life, our love, and our thought of happiness, our, our thoughts of friendship, and make them all universal. You stand manifested as a friend to every living soul. You're in love with life itself and surrounded by a boundless, limitless, infinite activity whose sole impulse is the dynamic power of irresistible love. Nothing, nothing can limit it and you stand in the middle of it. The whole universe is flooded with such life and such intelligence and such love and it is manifested by perfect peace. It is yours. It's all yours. Reach out or reach right within and it is all yours. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, 
one life, one joy. There is this one thing that I call God, and it also represents this one thing that I call love. And so on this day, for myself and for the people in this room, I affirm a greater ability to accept more love, to have an open heart, to let go of uh, of fears and doubts around our ability to love, and simply love as God loves, with an open heart, an open mind, the ability to change as we will, to be able to accept more love and to give more love in our lives. And I'm just grateful for this. I'm grateful for a chance once again to engage the beloved. And so I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.